Good evening. How y'all doing? Doing well. I want us to turn, please, to Jonah chapter 3. We started some weeks ago looking at the minor prophets, and uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was to try to look at them not from a sequential order, but from a chronological order. Uh, and so we have looked at Obadiah, and we have looked at Joel, uh, and we have looked at the first two chapters of Jonah. But Jonah's story is one that I, I wanted to see all the way through to the end. It's not a long book. In fact, most of these minor prophets are short books. But as we have said every time that we have gathered uh, with regard to Jonah, that Jonah is unique even from other uh, books of prophecy in that Jonah does not deal so much with a message that God gives to a group of people other than the message that he gives to the people of Nineveh that uh, destruction is coming unless revival takes place. But Jonah deals <clears throat> with uh, the relationship that he has with God, with uh, the level of his obedience to what God has asked him to do. God uses Jonah's life as a model for uh, what it is that he expects of his people. And with regard to Jonah, what he expects is obedience and discipline. And what he gets from Jonah is rebellion and disobedience. And uh, again, I know I'm repeating myself from the last two times that we've been together. One of the interesting things about Jonah is that the story does not end with a, and they lived happily ever after. Y'all remember all them fairy tales y'all used to listen to when y'all were kids, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, and, 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 and uh, uh, Cinderella, and Jack and the Beanstalk, and all, all of them. And, and, and the story's always ended the same way. And they lived happily ever after. And, and that, that's nice, especially when you're telling children's stories. And, and you want children to believe in such things. But if you live more than a minute, you come to know that, that life very seldom ends with, and they lived happily ever after. We have problems. We have difficulties. We have estrangements. We have relationships. Most relationships are seasonal. That people come into your life for a season. And sometimes you grow extremely close for a season. And then the season changes. And, 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 and part of the, the, the process of living is learning that things that are one way today might be vastly different tomorrow. Therefore, we should not depend so much on the, the, the consistency of the season but we should depend upon the consistency of the one who makes all the seasons possible, and that's God. Uh, so, so, somebody uh, put on Facebook not too long ago, uh, 
in, in, in what season would you want to live? If you only had to choose one season, what, what would you choose? What season would you choose to live in? And my response was winter in Louisiana. Because in winter in Louisiana, you get every season there is. <clears throat> you get cold, warm, hot. You get a whole lot of hot. But, 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 but one of the things that, that, that you come to understand, when you live down here, seasons change really quickly. Looking at the forecast for, 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 for the next couple of days. Today was a record. 81 degrees. February 6th. 2019, temperature was 81 degrees. Tomorrow, the temperature is going to top out at 79 degrees. Friday, the temperature is going to stop at 50. Do, do, do you see how things change? And then by the weekend, it's going to be back up into the 70s. Seasons change. So, you pull out your, your winter stuff to wear, you better have some short sleeves somewhere. <laughs> because you can start off with a fur coat at 8 o'clock in the morning, and you can need a T-shirt by 12 or 1 o'clock. Seasons change. Just like seasons change uh, uh, with regard to our geography, seasons change in our lives. We, we, we have seasons where things are going extremely well. We have seasons where we, if, if things got any better, I wouldn't know what to do. And then we have other seasons where it seems like everything is just falling apart. And, and we don't know when the falling is going to stop. Jonah's story is interesting to me because it does not end with God and Jonah on the same page. It ends with Jonah mad with God, and God still telling Jonah it's going to be my way. And you're going to have to learn how to accept the reality that I'm the one in charge of this. But that's next time we do That's chapter 4. Today we're in chapter 3. So I invite your attention to Jonah chapter 3. Next, God spoke to Jonah a second time. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. This time, Jonah started off straight for Nineveh, obeying God's orders to the letter. Nineveh was a big city, very big. It took three days to walk across it. Jonah entered the city, went one day's walk, and preached, in 40 days, Nineveh will be smashed. The people of Nineveh listened and trusted God. They proclaimed a citywide fast and dressed in burlap to show their repentance. Everyone did it, rich and poor, famous and obscure, leaders and followers. When the message reached the king of Nineveh, he got up off his throne, threw down his royal robes, dressed in burlap, and sat down in the dirt. Then he issued a public proclamation throughout Nineveh, authorized by him and his leaders. Not one drop of water, not one bite of food for man, woman, 
or animal, including your herds and flocks. Dress them all, both people and animals, in burlap and send up a cry for help to God. Everyone must turn around, turn back from an evil life and the violent ways that stain their hands. Who knows? Maybe God will turn around and change his mind about us. Quit being angry with us and let us live. God saw what they had done, that they had turned away from their evil lives. He did change his mind about them. What he said he would do to them, he didn't do. All right. Jonah's story follows a fairly sequential order. In chapter 1, God gives Jonah an order and tells him to go to Nineveh, the, the capital, one of the capitals, actually the summer capital of the nation of Assyria, and preach against the city, uh, preach revival against the city that the city might be spared. God says, I'm going to destroy the city unless this preaching takes place, and I have called you to do the preaching. And Jonah says, no, God, I ain't going to do that because Jonah wants the city to be destroyed. Assyria was the prevailing world power at that time. They were the empire. And Assyria uh, was threatening God's people, both Judah and Israel. And Jonah, being a good Jew, wanted the enemies of Israel to be destroyed. And so when God said, go preach, uh, to Nineveh that salvation might take place, Jonah gets on a boat and goes in the opposite direction. God sends a storm, and, and the storm uh, is so uh, tragic, so, so, so heavy, so, so overwhelming that uh, the ship looks like it's going to break up. And the crew of the ship uh, finally come to the place after they've done all that they can do and after they have prayed, they come to a place where they throw dice, they gamble uh, uh, with the intention of uh, gaining discernment as to what the cause was or who the cause was that was causing this calamitous storm to take place. And the dice fell on Jonah. And, and, and Jonah tells them, well, if you want the storm to stop, you throw me into the sea. I know I'm repeating what, what we said the last time we were together, but I'm trying to bring us up to where we are. Uh, and, and Jonah says, if you want the storm to stop, throw me into the sea. Jonah was not doing that for reasons of heroism. Jonah was doing that because he was essentially saying to God, I'd rather die than do what you tell me to do. Jonah does not get on his knees and say, God, forgive me. God, God, stop this storm and I'll go where you tell me to go and I'll be obedient. No, Jonah says, throw me overboard and, and, and just let me die in the sea. After they did everything they could to keep from throwing him overboard, the, the, the storm would not relent. And finally, they decided in order to get out of the storm, we're going to throw Jonah into the sea immediately upon Jonah going into the sea. The storm stops and the pagan people who uh, were the sailors on the boat come to worship Yahweh, come to worship the Lord our God. And the one who's supposed to be worshiping the Lord our God is in the water, totally prepared to die. But God intervenes and sends a great fish. I know y'all like to think it's a whale, but read the scripture. It doesn't say it was a whale. It, and you say, well, what's the difference? A whale is a mammal and a fish is a fish. 
basic biology, in case you didn't know that. Whales are not fish, and fish are not whales. Whales are mammals that happen to live in the water. It was not a whale. It was a great fish, and the great fish swallows up Jonah. And the scripture says that Jonah spends three days and three nights in the fish. That's the end of chapter 1. You go into chapter 2, and from the belly of the fish, Jonah prays to God. But Jonah's prayer is not a prayer of repentance. Jonah's prayer is not a prayer seeking forgiveness. Jonah's prayer is not a prayer where he declares, I'm ready, Lord, to do what you want me to do. Jonah's prayer is, Lord, get me out of this fish. If you get me out of this fish, I'll go to the temple and I will praise you and I will offer sacrifices to you. Only one problem. God didn't send Jonah to the temple. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Just as an aside, if I didn't say this last week, let me say it now. God ain't Burger King. Y'all remember the Burger King commercial? Have it your way. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way. Y'all, 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 me and food have a thing. <coughs> you know, so, 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 so I, I, I remember that commercial very well. God ain't Burger King. It is not a have it your way relationship. We have to do things God's way. Jonah's in the belly of the fish saying, if you get me out of the fish, Lord, I'll go back to the temple and I'll offer all the sacrifices that you want. God didn't want him in Jerusalem. God didn't want him at the temple. God wanted him at Nineveh. So after Jonah prays this poignant prayer and and talks about how God saved him from the bottom of the sea and put him in the belly of the fish, and in here he's safe, and now I'm ready to get out of the fish, Lord, and I'm ready to go back to uh, Jerusalem and go back to the temple. When the fish spits Jonah out, he spits him out on the shores of Nineveh. Not Jerusalem, on the shores of Nineveh. And there on the shores of Nineveh is where we go into chapter 3. What does God say opening up chapter 3? Next, God spoke to Jonah a second time. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them. They're in a bad way. And I can't ignore it any longer. Okay, turn back to Jonah chapter 1 for just a second. Look at the first two verses of Jonah chapter 1. One day, long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son, up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them. They're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. Mm. Those words sound vaguely familiar. It's not a typo. It's not a mistake that chapter 3 opens the same way that chapter 1 opens. 
What is God saying to Jonah? This is what he is saying. He is saying, my grace is offering you a second chance to do what you should have done the first time. From the belly of the fish, Jonah prays to God and says, if you get me out of the fish, I'll go home to Jerusalem, and I'll go to the temple, and I'll offer sacrifices. But God's instruction to Jonah was up on your feet and go to Nineveh and preach against that city because they're in a bad way and I can't ignore it any longer. There's a lesson in that for us. There's a lesson in that for you and me. The grace of God is extended to us so that we can get it right this time what we didn't get right the last time. I won't even say the first time because the first time was a long time ago. I met the Lord in a field in St. Francisville, Louisiana in 1947. That was the first time. Okay? So, 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 so it's not the first time. It's the last time. When y'all woke up yesterday morning, grace woke you up. Grace, grace woke you up yesterday morning. And when grace woke you up yesterday morning, God had an agenda for your life. You want to know what the agenda? It wasn't a long agenda. It wasn't a deep agenda. But it was God's agenda. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That was the agenda for the day. When you got up, you were expected to follow the agenda for the day. Well, if we're honest with ourselves, some of us didn't get out the door. before we deviated from the agenda. We said things we ain't had no business saying. We did things we ain't had no business doing. We thought things we had no business thinking. When we left the house, we went places we ain't had no business going. And of course, that's the assumption that you were in the right place when you woke up. I was giving you that. I was giving you that you woke up in the right place. You deviated from the agenda. All throughout yesterday, you deviated from the agenda. You did what you wanted to do, how you wanted to do it, when you wanted to do it. And when, you, when your head hit the pillow last night, you had not kept the agenda at all. But God, in his grace, woke you up this morning.
And when God woke you up this morning, he gave you an agenda for today. And here's the thing. The agenda for today is exactly the same as the agenda was yesterday. So, I'm here by the grace of God. Okay, what you going to do with that grace? Y'all, y'all, y'all like say, I, I'm, I'm here by the grace and mercy of God. Okay, what you going to do with that grace and with that mercy? God says to Jonah, God gives Jonah the exact same command that he gave before. Grace does not relieve us of the initial responsibility. That's an, if I was Charles Smith, I, I just said something. <clears throat> Grace does not relieve us of the initial responsibility. You are as responsible today to love God and love your neighbor as you were yesterday. If you have a tomorrow, you will be responsible for the, the agenda doesn't change. Now, I know you got your own schedule. I hope he lets us out a little early because I got someplace I want to go before I go home. You, you, you got your own schedule. It's all right to have your own schedule. You get to make your schedule. God sets the agenda. And God's agenda is very simple. Love him. And let your love for him be reflected in how you love one another. So, he tells him to do exactly what he was to do in the first place. The assignment did not change. The destination did not change. The mandate does not change. New chances do not mean that we have been relieved of previous responsibilities. It just means that we have another chance to get it right where we messed up yesterday. Additionally, I want you to see that Jonah was expected to use the same tool. If you look at chapter 1, if you look at chapter 3, He says the same thing. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh and preach to them. Preach. Some of y'all don't like the word preach because you think that that's just a special class of folk. So, so, So read it from those versions that use the term proclaim. You might not want to be called a preacher, but every one of you in here is a proclaimer. Or at least you ought to be. Have you met the Lord? Did he come into your heart? Did he change your soul? Have you got good religion? Have you been baptized? Is your name on? Y'all like singing them songs, right? So, 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 and, and, and the answer is certainly, 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 Lord. Well, If you've been touched by the Lord, not only are you called to the same assignment, but you're called to use the same tool. The tool is proclamation. 
Go and proclaim. Go and speak. Go and lift your voice. Go and make people know who it is who sent you. Preaching, proclamation, announces, asserts, affirms, calls, challenges, convicts, empowers, enlightens, equips, lightens our burdens, and liberates those who are held captive. That's the power of proclamation. Do you want to know why the devil wants the church to be quiet? Because the devil knows that there is power in proclamation. And for too long, the church has tried to do the work that God has called it to do without proclaiming the word that God has given it to proclaim. We, 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 we obfuscate the word. We soften the word. We, we switch the word. We, we lift up the word that we like and leave out the word that we don't like. Jesus is confronted by the devil in the wilderness after he's been out there for 40 days and 40 nights and he hasn't eaten and, and, and the devil comes to him and says, you got to be hungry. Why don't you turn these stones to bread? And Jesus' response is, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. And, and, and I lift that up because of the term every, not just word, Every word. You and I got our favorite passages. We got the stuff that we like, and, and that's the stuff that we cling to. But there's more in this word than just the verse that you like. See, you like blessed are the meek, but you don't like turn the other cheek. Amen. You like blessed are the pure in heart. But you don't like forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Every word, not just the words that you agree with, not just the words that fit your own personal philosophy of life. We don't have a philosophy of life. Not if we're in Christ. He sets the agenda. And it is incumbent upon us to adjust ourselves to him. And it's proclamation of the word that reminds us and challenges us and charges us and convicts us to do that very thing. And so God says to Jonah, Go to the same place I sent you the first time with the same assignment I gave you the first time and with the same tool that I told you to use the first time. Go and proclaim. Go and speak. Go and share my word with these people.
Nobody in, you can say a whole lot of things about where you're deficient, but nobody in here can say that you can't proclaim. Unless you don't know nothing to proclaim. Now, it, if, if you want an excuse not to proclaim, here's one. You don't know nothing. You don't spend any time in the word. You don't spend any time wrestling with the word. You don't allow the word to convict you. You're never challenged by the word. And if that's the case, then you can't proclaim because you ain't got nothing to proclaim. This is a call for us to recognize the value of staying steeped in the word of God. Because without the word, we don't know. Even if you say, well, I have my own experience. I had an experience with the Lord, and I can share my experience with the Lord. And yes, you can share your experience with the Lord, but your experience with the Lord cannot be properly understood unless you have a relationship with the Word of God. You can, have, you can have an experience with the Lord and not know what to do with it because you haven't been steeped in the Word of God. You can have an experience that you think means one thing and God means it for something else. And you won't know because you haven't spent any time into the word. So he gives him the same responsibility. He gives him the same charge, and he says, use the same tool. What God is saying to Jonah, he's saying also to us. And that is, God gives each of us an opportunity to turn a no into a yes. Because if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have said no to God about something. I ain't going to love that person. I ain't going to forgive that person. I'm not going to serve that person. I'm not going to talk to that person. I'm not going to have anything to do with that person or that group. All of us have said no to God. God's grace is given to us, is extended to us with the expectation that with his grace, no becomes yes. Just out of curiosity, which one of us thinks that we have the right to tell God no? Show of hands. Uh, 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 nobody's hand. It's funny, I, 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 I was teaching this, this morning at noon, and, and, and I asked a question. I said, just out of curiosity, which one of us in here thinks that we're perfect? Show, show of hands. Show. And, and, and one hand way in the back went up <laughs> like that, and then she threw it back down. <clears throat> I didn't even get one hand that, 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 that thinks that you have the right to tell God, no. You don't have the right. To tell God, no. And so, 
God's grace is an opportunity for us to do what God tells us to do. So this time Jonah gets up and he goes into the city. But I want you to I want to emphasize this point. He does it, but he doesn't do it joyfully. He does it, but he doesn't do it thankful for the opportunity to get it right. He does it because God said do it. And I'm going to be obedient to what God said do because I don't want to go back in that fish. So what does he do? Jonah entered the city, went one day's walk, and preached. In 40 days, Nineveh would be smashed. The people of Nineveh listened and trusted God. They proclaimed a citywide fast and dressed in burlap to show their repentance. Everyone did it, rich and poor, famous and obscure, leaders and followers. When the message reached the king of Nineveh, he got up off his throne, threw down his royal robes, dressed in burlap, and sat down in the dirt. Then issued a proclamation throughout Nineveh, authorized by him and his leaders, not one drop of water, not one bite of food for man, woman, or animal, including your herds and flocks, dress them all, both people and animals, in burlap, and send up a cry for help to God. Everyone must turn around, turn back from an evil life and the violent ways that stain their hands. Who knows? Maybe God will turn around and change his mind about us. Quit being angry with us and let us live. Once again, I said when we started, that one of the interesting things about Jonah is that Jonah is not a whole lot, is not filled with a whole lot of message from God. Jonah gives a one sentence or a two sentence message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. But what chapter 3 does tell us that is most interesting is that the Ninevites responded to the message. Now, what's important for you to understand so, so that you get the significance of this is that Ninevites, the city of Nineveh, people, the people who lived in the city of Nineveh were Assyrian. And Assyrians were not worshipers of Yahweh. They were not worshipers of the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. In fact, Assyrians were not monotheists. They did not believe in one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They, 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 they didn't believe that. They worshiped several gods. They were what we call polytheists. They worshiped several gods. So it is highly significant that when Jonah goes into the city and preaches to the people about Yahweh, the polytheists stop worshiping the other gods and repent and turn their attention toward gaining the favor of Yahweh. What makes it doubly interesting is that the one who is supposed to be serving Yahweh ain't pleased about what he's been asked to do. 
in this, do you get a picture of the church? For just a second, see Jonah not as a reluctant prophet, but see Jonah as a reluctant church. For this to have any meaningful significance to us, it can't just be a historical event that we're reading, but we have to be able to, to, to draw some practical things from this. And one of the practical things that I want us to draw is the lack of joy that is in Jonah is indicative of the lack of joy that exists within God's church. And if we are a joyless church, what does that say about our relationship with God? I'm, I'm jumping ahead just a little bit. Uh, we're going to cover it next week when we get to chapter 4. Jonah was joyless because Jonah knew what God was going to do. And Jonah didn't want God to do what God was going to do. Jonah didn't want Nineveh to be saved. And so while he goes into the city and while he proclaims what he was told to proclaim, he doesn't do it with any joy. I can imagine he's walking through Nineveh, not like a, a, a revival preacher, 40 days until Nineveh is destroyed. If you don't want to be destroyed, you need to come so I, I, I can imagine that's the way an excited evangelical preacher would do it. Nineveh, you need to straighten up. But Jonah walks through Nineveh like, 40 days. 40 days till Nineveh is destroyed. And I hope he hurries up and destroys it. 40 days until Nineveh, there's no joy. There's no enthusiasm. There's no excitement about being a partner in the work of God. We preach Sunday at, at 11 o'clock about partnership, about partnering with God, and about the excitement that ought to be ours to be given the opportunity to partner with God. Jonah has no joy in the prospect of partnering with God. He is the most reluctant partner you would ever find so reluctant that he would prefer to drown than to do what God said do. Is the church guilty of being an unhappy partner with God? Is the church Guilty of, 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 of simply going through the motions, but not really having any enthusiasm about doing what God has called you to do? I would, I would put forth the proposition that perhaps the answer is yes. If we were more excited, this sanctuary would be full. 
It'd be full, not just tonight, but it'd be full every time the doors are open. We wouldn't put fraternities and sororities before the church. We wouldn't put Jack and Jill and Eastern Star and Masonic Lodges before the church. We wouldn't put our children's soccer game because the children wouldn't be playing soccer while worship was going on before the church. We'd have a different level of enthusiasm, a different level of commitment than what we have. I suspect that there is a lack of enthusiasm. Do you remember how excited you were when you first came to Jesus? Every time the door was open, you were there. You couldn't wait to, to come in and didn't, didn't, never looked at the clock to see how long we've been here. Some of y'all been looking at your watches the whole time you're here. God, that clock is moving slow tonight. But, but, but somewhere along the way, we lost our enthusiasm. We lost our zeal. We lost our desire to partner with God. Jonah is a participant in what God asked him to do, but Jonah is an unhappy participant. And the church of all places should be a place where you find happy folk. The church should be a place where you find enthusiastic. I'm not saying that, that the church is a place where people don't have problems because everybody in here has a problem. Everybody in here, including the one who's talking to you now, everybody in here has a problem. But what I'm saying is, in spite of the problem, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be in the presence of the Lord and with my brothers and sisters in the Lord's house. And there is nothing, speaking for me now, there is nothing I would prefer to do than what I'm doing right now. I, I have told this to people, and, and people think that I'm just saying it to say it, but, but I mean this from the depths of my heart. I'd rather have a bad day here than have a good day anywhere else. I, I, I have, I, I know you wouldn't believe this, I have bad days preaching sometimes. I, I, I know. I, I know you don't believe that at all. But, 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 but the, there are times when I have a bad day preaching. I'd rather have a bad day preaching than a good day doing something else. Because I'm confident of one thing. This is what I have been called to do. And I have committed my entire life to this. And I'm going to die doing this. Don't want it to be anytime soon. Just <laughs> but I'm going to die doing this. And, and, and that's okay because this is what I've been called to do. And, and, and I get, even when I'm tired, I get enthusiasm. I get excited. 
Sometimes when I walk through that door, I, I feel like I'm dragging the whole world with me. But Lord, once I get in here, and once I stand up and once I start, all that stuff is gone. And, I, and I, I'll pick it up when I walk back out of here. But, but, but for right now, for right now, all of that's forgotten. Because I enjoy this. I enjoy being in the company of God's people. I enjoy doing God's work because this is what he has called me to do. Now, I say that not as though that should be unique to me. Every believer and everybody in here, if you're in here on a Wednesday night at 715, you better be a believer. It, everybody in here, if you're a believer, what I'm saying about me, you ought to be able to say about you too. You ought to be able to say that about you too. Jonah is participating, but he's a reluctant participant. But here speaks to the power of God. In spite of Jonah's reluctance, when the message goes forth, the people are changed. The Bible says that when the message went forth, everything about their behavior changed. Nineveh was a city, by some estimations, of 600,000 people. Can you imagine a 600,000-person revival? Because the, the, the text says the whole city changed. Well, now, somebody ought to be asking the question, well, if a dour Jonah gave an unenthusiastic message to a city of 600,000 people, then what was the, the, the reason, what, what was the source of the change? And I'm glad you asked me that. That's a good question you just asked. Because it tells us something. It tells us that the change wasn't in the prophet. The change was in the word that the prophet gave. The power wasn't in the prophet. The power was in the word that came forth from the prophet. You need to hear me today. There ain't no power in you. There ain't no power in me. We can sit up and we can try to figure out the best way to say something and how to, to share it with somebody, how we can tickle somebody. You can do all that stuff you want to. Can I tell you, you ain't got no power? If a change is going to take place, it's not going to be because of the vessels. It's going to be because of what flows through the vessel. The book of Zechariah tells of, of, of a vision that uh, Zechariah had where he saw a, a candlestick with seven channels, se seven burners on the candlestick. And, and on either side of the candlestick were two olive trees. And the olive trees dripped oil into the candlestick. And, 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 and 
The prophet goes through all kinds of, uh, of description about the, the candlestick. It was a golden candlestick. And, and, and from that, we, we, we gain the understanding that we are precious vessels to her because gold is considered to be a precious mineral. So, so we are precious. That, that, that there were seven channels to it. And seven in Hebrew is considered to be the number of perfection. So, so our goal should be to strive to be perfect before the one who called us. But then when it got to the point where the fire was burning on each one of the burners, the question was asked, what keeps the fire burning? And the fire didn't burn because it was going through gold. The fire burned because of what was feeding the fire. Zechariah says on either side of the candlestick, there were olive trees. And on the olive trees, the oil would drip off the leaves into the candlestick. And the oil filled up the channels so that the fire never went out. Rain fell. And the fire kept burning. Storms rose and the fire kept burning. Wind blew and the fire kept burning. Not because it was made of gold, but because of what was feeding the flame. And at, at, at that, Zechariah says, God is saying something to you, Zerubbabel. And, and, and if it ain't clear what he said, if the vision doesn't make it clear, let me give it to you in words. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Some of us think we big stuff. And you fill in the word stuff with the word that you want to use. Some of us think we big stuff. Some of us think that this thing can't go on without us. Can I tell you, before you got here, this work was going on. And when we wheel you out of here, earth to earth, Ashes to ashes, dust to, when we wheel you out of here, the work is going to still be going on because it ain't about us. I know you think you gold. I, I, I know you think you precious. I know you think can't nothing happen without you. It ain't you. It's the oil that flows through you. Let me tell you something. If you ain't got no oil, you ain't got no light. No oil, no light. No oil, no heat. No oil, no strength. No oil, no efficacy. 
Do you know what a golden candlestick is without fire? It's a piece of furniture sitting up against the wall. It's a decoration. It's nothing. It's meaningless. The only thing that gives it meaning is its functionality. And it only functions when it has the right stuff flowing through it. You don't function right if you ain't got the right stuff flowing through you. You want to know why the church is filled with so many unhappy people? Because you're trying to do stuff without the oil. Because you're trying to do it without him. Because you're trying to do it your way and not his way. And the fire won't burn. But if you get reconnected with the power source. Scripture says Jonah gave an unenthusiastic message to a city of people who had never heard of God. But when he gave it, the word was so powerful that 600,000 plus folk stopped what they were doing took off their clothes and put on burlap. Do you understand the purpose of burlap? It was an indication of sorrow, mourning, and repentance. And the king said, we ain't going to stop with people. We're going to put burlap on all the animals. Even the animals going to wear burlap. Now, I know I've told you all before, Fido ain't going to heaven. Some of y'all love your dogs more than you love people. But Spot ain't going to heaven. But, 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 but the king of Nineveh was so interested in, in, in gaining the favor of God that he says, we ain't going to stop with people. Even the animals are going to wear burlap. We ain't going to stop with people. No animal is going to drink any water or eat any food. Nobody's going to eat anything. Nobody's going to drink anything. And we're going to prostrate ourselves before this God that that fella told us about. The power wasn't in the preacher. The power was in what he preached. We ain't got no power. But God does invite us to be participants in his program. You think this thing can't go on without you? Get sick. I, I, I ain't, ain't going to tell you to die. Get sick. Let me tell you what happens when folk get sick. And we going home. When folk get sick and folk find out that you're sick, first thing they say is, oh, no, so-and-so is sick. How bad is it? Are they in the hospital? I need to go find so-and-so. Well, that's the first week. And then they come by and they check on you once or twice. See how you're doing. Anything you need, baby, just call me anytime, day or night. If there's anything I can do for you, all you got to do is let me know. That's the first week. Then, 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 then wait a couple of weeks. And, 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 and then I'm checking on so-and-so. so-and-so doing all right? I ain't going by the hospital. I ain't going by. I'll just call and see. 
how they, and these days they don't even call, they text. <laughs> Somebody to read the text after a while. Then after about two months, they send a card thinking of you. Hope you're getting better. Then about three months after that, who is that? Who are you talking about? I don't know who that is. Do they, what, 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 where did they sit in the church? Help me to know who they are. Now, I'm saying that not to be funny. It is funny. But I'm saying that as an, I've been in the church my whole life. I've seen this happen over and over and over again. I grew up in this church. I, I marched into this church in 1972 when we came in here. Sometimes when I stand here, I see faces of folk who ain't here no more. Folk who I remember when, when, when I came into this building in 1972, and I, I, I can look across this, the first two rows here with the deacons' seats, and I see faces of people who ain't here no more. I see O.O. Isom. And I see William Armstrong. He's the one who sat in that chair. And I see Joe Winding. And I see Sylvester Foster. And I see Brother Jefferson. And I see Walter Scott. And I see P.W. Baker. Some of y'all don't even know who, who those names are that I'm calling. But they sat right here. And then over there, Miss King and Miss Washington and Miss Addie Scott and Miss Hattie Eli, and Miss Olivia Wright, first two rows over there with the deaconess rows. I see those faces. I hear their voices. I hear their prayers. Governor Thomas sat right up there. He couldn't pray without quoting a hymn. Oh God, I help in ages past, and I hope for years to come. I shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Before the hills in order stood or the earth received her frame from everlasting thou art God to endless years. He didn't start a prayer until he said that. I hear that. I see that. And you know what's common about all them folk? They gone. They gone. All of them were put in here in a casket. And y'all walked by and said how natural they looked. Funeral home did a good job on them. They looked real good. Some of y'all yelled and screamed, I want to go with them. You know when you don't want to get in that casket with them. <laughs> but they're all gone. And they have been replaced with you. I called names of people and I'm looking at your face. You don't, you don't know who I'm talking about. Guess what? In 20 years, I'm going to call your name. And somebody else is going to be sitting in here. And they, uh, who is that? You don't want to believe this, and I understand that. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. 
We're here for a moment. We're stewards. And a steward is not an owner. A steward is a manager. Something has been entrusted into our care. And the only thing that we are asked to do is do the best we can with, with what has been entrusted to our care for the time that it is ours. Knowing this, the time ain't long. It ain't long. And then somebody's going to say over me, I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So don't get caught up in the idea that it's about you. An unenthusiastic preacher gave a powerful word and a 600,000 city, 600,000 person city was converted because it wasn't in the preacher. It was in what he preached. There might be somebody here tonight who haven't been a part of this Bible study experience and want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior.